What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. In for Adam and Josh this week, I'm Scott Tobias. And I'm Keith Phipps. Every time I seen you fight, you climb in there alone. Every time you bled, you bled your blood. When you sat down on that stool and it felt like death and you thought you couldn't get up, but you got up, you did that. You need to get back to that. Thank you for that pep talk, 50 Cent. I really needed that. Just got to get back in that ring, Tobias. Back into the ring it is with Jake Gyllenhaal, Rachel McAdams, and yes, 50 Cent in the new boxing film Southpaw. Our review, plus the top five things we learned at the Dissolve, the Chicago-based movie site that recently closed its doors. That and more ahead on Film Spotting. Film Spotting is brought to you this week by Movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. This week's new titles include Tears of a Black Tiger, the cult western from Thailand's We Seat, Sasana Tiang. Cut and then shelved by Miramax in 2000, Movie is showing the much-longed-for original version that, according to Movie, has to be seen to be believed. Also, The Pope's Toilet. With the Pope's recent groundbreaking visit to South America, Mubi chose to screen this neorealist comedy from Uruguay, the country's 2014 submission for the Best Foreign Film Oscar, a film Mubi calls ribald, heartfelt, and tragic. And finally, The Turin Horse, the final film from Hungarian master Belatar, a 2012 film that many critics have named one of the best films of the 2010s. Including me. I like that one a lot. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Listeners of Film Spotting can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com slash Film Spotting to redeem now. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Film Spotting. listening to Film Spotting. I'm Scott Tobias, former editor at The Dissolve, here with Keith Phipps, The Dissolve's former editorial director, filling in for Adam and Josh this week, the first of a two-week Dissolve takeover of Film Spotting. Keith, before we get into the show, maybe uh, people don't know about The Dissolve, so can we give them a little background? Sure. It's, uh, it was. It, I'm still adjusting to past tense, but uh, it was a film site that we ran for two years in conjunction with Pitchfork Media, and uh, it was it was wonderful, I think. I don't know. I, I, people seemed to like it. People were mad when we shut down. They I was, were upset. I, I, yeah. was, I, was, I was sad when we shut down, <laughs> but you know, it, Adam and Josh last week said some very complimentary things about us and how we were sort of, what was the word? It was it was was something obsessive, sort of uh, um, not exquisitely obsessive, but the appropriately obsessive, maybe something like that. But we, we were always driven by a love of film and, and we tried to go deep with everything we did. And, you know, we did, re- you know, we reviewed the latest movies and we, and we turned out the uh, commentary on, on the trends of the day. But we also kind of took people back to some favorites and uh, we kind of wanted to get, try to get people the whole package. And, and, you know, for a while we got a chance to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the work we did. Yeah, me, me too. I mean, I think uh, we leave a beautiful corpse. I guess that's the way, I, the way I've been putting it. We, I think once the future becomes uh, clear, I, I will be able to look back and sure. say we had two great years where we got to work with our, our friends and do the best possible site that we could. And not a lot of people get that opportunity. And we got to give a lot of credit to Pitchfork, too, which supplied us with beautiful design and, and development. And 
and uh, a lot of support and, and gave us a lot of editorial freedom to do what we wanted to do. So they it was great. great. They were great. Yep. And uh, later in the show, uh, we'll share the top five things we learned at the Dissolve. But first, Jake Gyllenhaal makes a case for boxing being almost as difficult a profession as film criticism in Southpaw. How do you fight? I get it. Let's go! Only now you've taken way too many hits hey. before you get off. You can't fight like that anymore. Think about her. I don't tell you something. I love you. I love you. <laughs> so predictable. Man. The light heavyweight champion of the world, Billy I won't be here without my wife, Maureen. Hey, Billy, why are you leaving so soon? Come on, keep walking. Baby, you ain't never been a real man. Let that go. Let's go home. How about I take your belt? That was the trailer for Southpaw, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Billy Hope, an undefeated light heavyweight champion whose life takes it on the chin when his wife, played by Rachel McAdams, is killed by a stray bullet during an altercation. Between her death and his bankruptcy... Billy loses custody of his daughter, Layla, and has to work to get her out of the system and get himself back in the ring. To do so, he goes back to his roots, taking a job and some training from an old boxing gym owner, played by Forrest Whitaker. Will he win his daughter back? Will he mount an unlikely comeback in the ring? Keith, do I need to keep asking these questions? What, now, wait a minute. What is Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name again? Can you, can you run that by me one more time, Scott? Uh, Billy Despair? <laughs> no, it's Billy Hope. It is Billy uh, Hope. Which leads into some wonderful moments of, uh, of commentary. Oh, Scott. Uh, this movie, I, it's like the best boxing movie of 1948, I think. It, it really is <laughs> yeah. kind of wonderfully old-fashioned in a way. But, well, I don't know. Wonderful is the right word. It, it, it works you like nobody's business, and some of the performances are, are really good, but I just kind of felt manipulated by this whole thing. What was your reaction to it? My reaction is basically, this is a Rocky movie that thinks it's Raging Bull. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's profane. It's really violent. You know, and Billy Hope is that Jake LaMotta type who, you know, can express himself except through violence. And, and it's, you know, in boxing is the only thing he knows how to do. Uh, and yet the beats of the, uh, the plot, you're right, are just so familiar, you know, right down for fighting for that orphan daughter. I mean, I go back to that, to Barton Fink, as as we always do. You know, Barton Fink has to write this Wallace Beery wrestling picture, yeah. and it's like, is is it going to have an orphan or a dame? And this one has an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, while the film is affecting and, and well-performed, I can't help but think that the director, Antoine Fuqua, and Kurt Sutter, the writer who also created Sons of Anarchy, were going for something edgier mm. and wound up something that, that has kind of a tough exterior and, and a really soft belly. A really soft belly. And and I'm a sentimental guy. I've got a daughter, you know, and so I was watching this movie and it's like, why isn't this moving me more? There's some nice moments. Like Forrest Whitaker, I think, has some of the best moments. Jalen Hall, I think, is kind of gone. I think people are kind of figuring out he's, he's a reliably terrific mm-hmm. actor. But, you know, at a certain point, I realized I don't find the way these fight scenes are staged particularly compelling. And that's sort of strike one. They weren't dull, but there's nothing really that did them for me. I'm really not buying the drama. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's sort of a, a late film development involving a boy he befriends that I just felt oh, so right. manipulative. Oh, I that, forgot. Bunny, I think his name uh, is. I believe, I, let me look this up, uh, uh, Hoppy. 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 So, okay. <laughs> um, that, not Bunny, but Hoppy. That felt so shameless that 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 if I wasn't already kind of not really feeling this movie, I, w- I probably would have taken me out of it. But, I mean, it's not 
terrible. I didn't mind watching it. Yeah. But at the same time, I realized that the, everything that should be working for me really wasn't working for me. Well, I actually thought the fight sequences were quite strong. But to, to get there, there's just this vast desert of a second act. Yeah. Where, because, you know, between when uh, he loses his wife and when he finally gets it together and, and has, you know, the, the climactic fight we we're all expecting there's just a whole lot of business going on and some of that business i have to say is is interesting and, and i almost wish the film got into it more you know because i think not enough films about boxing really get into the physical and financial toll of the job i mean you know the the night after a fight he's he can't do anything he's yeah. absolutely it takes him weeks to finally get his act together and then financially you're dealing with somebody who comes from a you know very Humble Roots is not well-educated, is dependent on managers and agents and handlers and accountants to really to deal with his money and handle his affairs. Uh, and that's a really common story among boxers who may, even the ones who make tens of millions of dollars in the ring, you hear them going bankrupt. And it's because of this, you know, financial exploitation and them not being able to really, you know, have a control over their affairs. And I felt like that was an, a fresh angle that the film only sort of partially deals with before it kind of gets to the standard business of him sort of cleaning up his act and, and trying to, you know, win his daughter back. Yeah, I think this, the best part of the film is the opening sequence. Um, I think Rachel McAdams is quite good uh, and has nice chemistry with Hall, and, and she's kind of missed when she disappears from the film, but I guess we spoiled that already. No, it's, uh, it's part of the plot. Yeah, it's a setup, basically. But uh, I think one of the most striking shots is when he wakes up the morning after a fight and he, he's still dripping blood from his mouth. Because of course you would be. I mean, you're, you're, you're destroyed in the ring. Yeah. I mean, and he can't, and I think he's been fighting for a while. I think it's slower and slower for him to recover. He's kind of reaching that tipping point where he's, you know, he's undefeated, but he's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is all very interesting stuff, but it's just, I'm struck by how old fashioned this movie is considering, you know, again, how edgy it's trying to be. And I think the old fashioned quality would have worked if... If it didn't make its manipulation so transparent. I mean, I felt, like I said, like I felt like I was being dragged through the paces of this movie that was trying to grip me emotionally, but just trying it a little too hard. It's not a problem. Title shot in Vegas, six weeks. Really? Six weeks? You know what that's about, right? Yeah. It's going to sell it like it's uh, a revenge match. Yeah. I got to make some money, man. I can't lose my girl. One thing I did like about Southpaw is that wealth isn't a vehicle for Billy to transcend, you know, his roots or himself. You know, his friends are still the friends that he do at the group home. And when his life and home, you know, are taken away from him and he's knocked back, I mean, he kind of falls into that rhythm of sort of living by his wits and living hand to mouth until he finds his way back. I mean, you never really get a sense that he's comfortable with the status that he's earned in his life. And certainly not comfortable in retiring into it. I, I, again, I think it's where the early parts of the films are better. You can kind of see where retirement isn't really an option for him or it's an option he's going to choose extremely reluctantly because what is he going to do with his time? I mean, maybe that's why so many ex-boxers end up with like used car lots or something. It just, it's as much to keep them busy as anything else. Yeah, I mean, he, and he gets off this big payday and he faces a manager who's played quite well by 50 cent yeah. i have to say uh, which is not something i get to say very often because he's usually wooden you know he, he gets it into a meeting with him and he has to sign he gets this 30 million dollar three fight 
contract shoved in his face, and he has to sign that contract because he's out of money somehow. Yeah, and, and 50 Cent's current bankruptcy proceedings kind of add an extra la- layer of resonance to the scenes, too. I was kind of, uh, not really in a distracting way, but I was finding myself thinking about uh, 50's current predicament as he was kind of taking this character through the same situation he was in. Oh, for sure, for sure. It was authentic, and, and, and you know, and but weirdly enough, when Fifty Cent plays characters who I guess might recall his own violent past, mm-hmm. he's completely unconvincing. Yeah, <laughs> but he happens to be convincing in this one role quite a bit, and I think I think it is it's important for movies to you know address this reality of being a boxer and it's like the one original angle that the film has because really what else is there it's just it you know it it really leads to the same place that every other boxing movie leads which is that once he gets it together and, and starts training you know and maybe learns how to be a little more humble than he was before that his big shot in the ring is going to solve a lot of problems. Is going to is going to resolve a lot of things in the narrative. Did you buy his relationship with his daughter? It felt a little. I mean, it was treacly to be sure, but it didn't feel like quite like a lived in father daughter relationship to me. It seemed almost arbitrarily hot and cold. Right. right? Yeah. Because because she, the the daughter is absolutely heartbroken that she is taken away from her dad. I mean, she, we see this courtroom scene. They both are very upset that they're being separated. And then really the next time we see her, you know, she's cold to him. She doesn't even want to see him. It mm-hmm. takes a while for her to warm to him. And I felt like that was maybe a bit of a dramatic convenience. And we know Una Lawrence is a good actress because she's great on Louie, but they were handing her lines here that I don't think anyone could really do anything with. No, no, but the film's a, the film is affecting in its way. Yeah. Um, we were watching this film with our old dissolved colleague Noel Murray, and uh, I think I think Noel was shedding you know a tear or two, right? Noel Noel's a softie. Though. I'm a softie though. Yeah, too. we, so, we so. all have daughters. I have two. Yeah. You've got one. <laughs> Noel's yeah. got one. Yeah, I think I think it got to Noel more than it got to me though. For some reason, I don't yeah. know. We we've all boxed. We all yes, we all have extensive experience <laughs> in, in the ring. Yeah, we're all sporting types. <laughs> but, uh, we're all down on our luck, scrambling to get back on top. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, that uh, actually is true. That is true. I sure I probably should have felt that a little more than I did. Uh, but it's disappointing, and I don't even. I I come at a point with Antoine Fuqua where I just I don't know really what he's about. I mean, Fuqua directed Training Day, which I quite like. But that movie almost feels like, you know, the writer David Ayer, who's kind of gone on to do so many movies about corrupt cops, it felt as much his as, as Fuqua's. And then the, the other films, I just don't. The Equalizer was what he did last year. Uh, what Olympus is it? Has Fallen was his other Olympus Has one. Fallen. I just, I think he's, he's got a lot of technical skill. And, and I think that in, in this movie, I guess I liked the, the climactic fighting scene more than you. I feel like that had a certain visceral punch to it, literally. But I, I wonder what he's all about. And, and, and Kurt Sutter, who again has shown flashes of talent as the creator of Sons of Anarchy. And he worked on The Shield before that. And right? The Shield, which is terrific. This feels very conventional. And I don't think anyone means it to be. Yeah, it's very strange. I was expecting something a little, um, well, a little more edgy, I guess, uh, given everyone involved. And so, you know, come for the edge, stay for the sentiment, I guess, or, or maybe that's yeah. It's all it's, it's. I think it's all sentiment when you when you peel back the uh, layers. I think when it once it leaves its shell, once it uh, abandons it, it's that defensive stance. It's just all it's all soft belly. Southpaw is open now and wide release. If you see it and agree or disagree with our opinions, you can email filmspotting at feedback at filmspotting.net. Scott and I spent the last week getting in fighting shape for this week's Massacre Theater. Well, one of us did anyway. 
That plus some quick thoughts on Tangerine, a new film about one particularly busy day in the life of two transgender prostitutes in Los Angeles. Stay with us. Just a quick interruption to let you know that Film Spotting this week is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform. Adam and Josh love to get testimonials from listeners who use Squarespace, and here are a couple. Listener and filmmaker Aaron Martinez uses Squarespace to promote the film he's currently setting out to shoot. It's called Olive, which he refers to as a whimsical post-apocalyptic fairy tale about the last man alive and his only friend, an undersized, undernourished olive tree that is surrounded by pesky flies. It's got live action, stop-motion animation, and miniatures all shot on 16-millimeter film. More about Olive at olivefilm.com. Listener Joseph, a visual artist and photographer who listens to the show from France, also recently got on board with Squarespace. You can check out Joseph's portfolio of work at sadmoodinthewoods.com. On Squarespace, sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding required. They offer intuitive and easy-to-use tools and state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world and offers a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code FILM to get a special offer on your first purchase. That's squarespace.com and offer code F-I-L-M. Thanks to Squarespace for their support of FilmSpotting. You have to get through 12 feet of concrete and 70,000 gallons of pressurized water without any metal. No oxygen tanks. Benji, stand by to receive. Ethan, you ready? This is Film Spotting with Keith Phipps. I'm Scott Tobias in for Adam and Josh this week. The dissolved takeover of Film Spotting continues next week when Tasha Robinson and I review that film, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which, if by chance you've lost count, is the fifth film in the better-than-average Tom Cruise starring franchise. And as you consider your loyalty to Ethan Hunt and to the Mission Impossible series, we hope you'll take a moment and consider your loyalty to a couple of classic Tom Cruise films. In anticipation of MI5, the current film spotting poll offers a death match between 1986's Top Gun and 1992's A Few Good Men, 
Cruz versus Cruz, Rob Reiner versus Tony Scott, Bacon versus Kilmer, Jack Nicholson versus Tom Skerritt. Keith, uh, wh- wh- how would you vote on this thing? That's tough because I, it's been a long time since I saw A Few Good Men and I really liked it at the time. And it's probably the better movie. But we did Top Gun as a movie of the week at the Dissolve last summer. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed revisiting it, even if I find it also kind of repellent at the same time, which is sort of like fairly bloodless depiction of warfare and it's a little troubling. But at the same time, it's it's a gorgeous movie. And I realized it's just one of those movies I've lived with in the background of my life in one way or another, either watching it in junior high or just having it quoted mm-hmm. or just kind of, you know, the soundtrack that I just kind of. It except, takes your breath away is what you're trying to say. Yes, that's exactly what I would say. I just kind of, I've developed a fondness for it, even though I don't particularly like it. Does yeah. that make any sense, Scott? A little bit. I think it's just much more a defining film. I mean, I, th- I feel like that that film sort of it opened up a certain look, that kind of Bruckheimer look, and was more influential. So uh, I, I think as a uh, piece of cultural history, it's a more interesting film than A Few Good Men. So that's how we're voting. You guys can vote how you want. Uh, and th- this being a death match, one film survives, the other disappears forever. Forever. So vote now at filmspotting.net. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Time now for Massacre Theater. We perform a scene badly. You get a chance at winning a prize. Last time, Adam and Josh massacred this. Why'd you do that? Uh, I don't like that surfing shit. Rock and roll has been going downhill ever since Buddy Holly died. Don't you think the Beach Boys are boss? You would, you grungy little twerp. Grungy? You big weenie. If I had a boyfriend, he'd pound you. Yeah, sure. That's Paul Lamott as John and Mackenzie Phillips as Carol in 1973's American Graffiti, another former Dissolve movie of the week, written by Gloria Katz, Willard Hook, and George Lucas, and directed by George Lucas. A couple weeks back on episode 545, Adam and Josh shared their top five films of 2015 so far. They also shared some thoughts on newish films The Tribe and the Brian Wilson biopic Love and Mercy. Wilson, of course, was the brains behind the Beach Boys, a.k.a. that surfing shit. Longtime listener Thomas Andriello in Wappingers Falls, New York, included this note about graffiti along with his Massacre Theater entry. Hi, guys. This week's Massacre Theater is George Lucas's best film, American Graffiti. Yes, I said his best. And this is coming from a lifelong fanboy who will be sitting online for many hours this December before The Force Awakens. I am a high school teacher who teaches a class called Popular Culture and Media Studies. Every year, I show this show to my freshmen who are then asked to write a response to this question. Have teenagers' hopes, fears, dreams, and desires changed over the years? Every year, the students are amazed at a film that seems to have almost nothing to do with their lives on the surface, impacts and affects them in a profound way. Many also identify that this is the original teen film and that others such as Dazed and Confused and Superbad would not exist without it. I have shown this film for eight years, and every year I worry that it may finally have lost its connection to current teens. However, as soon as the end credits come up, The conversation starts, and I realize that Lucas has made a truly timeless film that gives a true sense of what it means to be a teenager, regardless of the decade you live in. Well, Thomas, let's see if that passionate defense of American Graffiti helps your chances any when it comes to winning the coveted film spotting t-shirt. Keith, dip your hand into the film spotting hat and pick a winner. Okay, fully noise, fully noise, fully noise. And the winner is... Melanie Purser in Chicago. Congrats, Melanie. Email feedback at filmspotting.net to claim your film spotting t shirt. No one know Olivier, but if he fought Sugar Ray, he would say that the thing ain't the ring, it's the play. 
So, Scott, this was your pick, and I think it's a good one. I guess there's – are there any hints we should give people? Well, one, I, I don't think you're going to be able to find it on Google. However, one hint I can give is that it's one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films. One of Stanley Kubrick's films. And it's by one of my personal heroes. And one of your personal heroes. Mm-hmm. Does this film star Adam Sandler? It does not. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Keith, you're going to start it off, so I'm going to give you the action. And action. How you doing? Fine. How are you? How do I look? You look fine. Hit this. Punch. Punch. I'm in great shape. How about yourself? I'm all right. Okay. So you're a new runner, huh? Why? Do I look out of shape? No. It's just you're looking at cheap stuff. This is not serious running stuff. Why? Well, they put everything in one box and they knock the price down. You buy it and wind up bringing it back. All right. Well, I'm serious. Here's the thing. I just broke up with somebody. I'm trying to start a new life and I feel that running should be a major part of it. You want happiness? Get away from the box. And scene. I think we both have to say. Okay. And scene. Yeah, we, we really just massacred that scene, Keith. I feel embarrassed. For my personal hero, that's another hint. And if you know what scene we just massacred, email the movie's title along with your name and location to feedback at filmspotting.net. The deadline is Monday, August 3rd. The winner will be selected randomly from all the correct entries and announced on the show in a couple of weeks. To get official Massacre Theater rules, visit filmspotting.net. Girl, wait, wait, wait. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. It's too much drama. You guys just come out here and give me all this information and have me go handle it by myself. You're the one doing me anyway. Okay, 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 okay. I will go with you under one condition. You must promise me that there's not going to be any drama. Because as soon as there's some drama, I'm out of there. I promise. I promise. Look at me in my eyes and promise. I promise no drama, Alexandra. Come on. That's Katana Kiki Rodriguez as Cindy and Maya Taylor as Alexandra in that clip from director Sean Baker's Tangerine. It's Christmas Eve in Los Angeles. More specifically, it's Christmas Eve in Hollywood, but not the glamorous stretches of Hollywood you might be imagining. Tangerine, the fifth feature from writer-director Sean Baker, takes place almost entirely in parts of Hollywood that rarely show up in movies. The seedy donut shops, side streets, and rundown hotels frequented by L.A.'s transgender sex workers. Over donuts, Alexandra, played by Maya Taylor, is talking to Cindy Rella, played by Katana Kiki Rodriguez. She's filling her in about what she missed when Cindy was in jail. In the process, she lets slip that Cindy's boyfriend, a pimp named Chester, has been sleeping around on her. Thus begins a transmetropolitan odyssey as Cindy looks for Chester and Alexandra simply tries to make it through her day without catching any blowback. But as the film progresses, her efforts to stay out of Cindy's drama become increasingly futile. Scott, I, I thought this movie was terrific and, and I wasn't even sure what to expect going into it and I came out of it loving it. What were your thoughts on it? I loved it too and, and it was actually not to bring any sadness into this but I was a paragraph into writing it when the dissolve was shut down <laughs> uh, and I was going to give it our coveted essential viewing label which I assume you would have as well. Yeah, well deserved. And uh, what I love about this movie is that you can make this premise sound so much like an earnest Sundance drama, you know, the story of friendship between trans prostitutes on the fringes of L.A., but it's really funny. I mean, it's primarily a a comedy, and it moves like a shot. You know, it has these three major characters. You mentioned Cindy and Alexandra, but also there's Razmik, who is this Armenian cab driver who is a frequent customer 
even though he is married and a very and uh, has a very traditional mother-in-law who we'll meet uh, later. But uh, the driving force in terms of energy is Cindy, who's on this mission to find the cisgender woman her boyfriend has been sleeping with, and creates a little drama. And so I think I think really if if you're looking for the spirit of the film, the comic spirit, that's in Cindy. But at the same time, as much comedy as there is in the film, that doesn't negate the difficulty that these women have in their everyday life, which is full of danger and, and sadness and struggle. And uh, what Sean Baker, the co-writer and director, does is he keeps these elements sort of on the margins of the story without marginalizing them, if that makes any sense. No, it, it definitely does. It's so matter-of-fact about what these women do, what their routine is, and it's kind of filled with sort of kind of journalistic detail about how, how they pick up their, their clients and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the negotiations that go into every exchange and just sort of their day-to-day existence. And uh, it really doesn't romanticize it in any way, even though it's a funny movie. It's, it doesn't romanticize what their life is like. It's not a pleasant life a, at all. No. But there's just, just tremendous energy driving it as well. I mean, it's not a sad, despairing film in any way. It ultimately is, I think, kind of an earnest drama about the French, their friendship, but it takes so many detours and loop-de-loops to get to that point that I think it's all the more moving for it because we know so much more about these characters and also the cab driver as well. And it's an, it's um, we should, there's a whole lot to like about this film. The performance was great in there by actresses that Baker found mm-hmm. over the course of researching this film, so the authenticity is very much there in the film. But it's and it was shot on. Entirely using iPhone 5. Yes. And it's a remarkable looking film. I mean, you, you can tell it's not top of the line equipment, but but it really kind of uses the limitations of the iPhone to its advantage. I mean, Baker does these really stunning compositions and the smallness and anonymity of it allowed him to like steal some interesting shots. Like there's a scene involving a fairly heated confrontation aboard a, a bus that was shot without the customer's or the bus driver's knowledge, I read, I read sure. later. Uh, and you just can't do that if you, if you have a big film crew. And then the way he uses his music in this is, is remarkable. I'll, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, I mean, this film joins, I don't know if you've seen one of my other favorite films of the year, which is called Heaven Knows What. Not yet. And that takes place in New York and that uh, among you know heroin addicts, homeless heroin addicts. And both films are, they just feel like they're, they complement each other. There's this great East Coast, West Coast thing happening you know where there where there are these authentic sort of street level films but they also re- reject you know the realist trappings that you expect from them both films are extremely expressive and vibrant and and they have uh, really aggressive soundtracks you know this film really the jolt of energy that you get at the beginning beyond the spirited conversation between uh, Cindy and Alexandra is in the music, you know, and, and you just, you know, as soon as Cindy finds out that her boyfriend's been sleeping around, you know, she's off to the races, you know, and the film just gets that, that burst of energy and you're, you're, you just go with it. In fact, it reminds me actually of the film go in that, in that, in yeah. that sense. So uh, I appreciated that about it. I appreciated the fact that it isn't super earnest, that it is, funny, almost to the point of being a screwball comedy, but not to the expense of really um, understanding and, and, and sympathizing with the sort of the day-to-day lives of people, uh, you know, on the margins. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that it's shot on the margins really helps as well. And there's details you just cannot fake in this movie, like the motel, it says like, with a sign outside, <laughs> that says like, prostitution will not be tolerated. Yeah. It's 
only reason for existing is to, it's for yeah. prostitutes yeah. to use it, you know. And it, it's it's clear they just went and found that and, and shot there, and it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then when you get in one of these rooms, it's like layer upon layer, each door leading yeah. to, to some uh, horrifying sexual encounter. And I, I know another thing I really love about the movie is that there are a couple of pimps in the film, and they and they basically have set up their business in fast food restaurants. Right. You know, one guy's at a like, what looks like a burger joint, and then. Chester, who is played by the wonderful, wonderful James Ransone, is at donut time. Right. And they, they treat this like it's their office. And it's just like one of those, you know, the film is just full of great little details like that that are very funny. I mean, and, you know, we we're talking too about some of the transactions in the film and, you know, and, and some of them are, are kind of scary and some of them, you know, with Rasmic, which we'll talk about in a little bit are more short. I mean, people know him or feel more comfortable with him. But then there's there's a, a very funny and real-seeming exchange with what looks to be kind of a bored husband type who has, only has 20 bucks on him. And he mm-hmm. tries to negotiate sexual favors from Alexandra, who is just barely tolerating him. And, and things just go kind of awry in a way that could be dangerous, but the film you know, plays it for comedy. I think it, by playing it for comedy, it doesn't really soften it, really. It makes it funny, but it doesn't really make these characters into like a caricature. Yeah, if a customer were more dangerous than pathetic, and that guy's the definition of pathetic, then then uh, uh, it could end much worse uh, than it does. But let's talk, I, I really want to talk about Rasmic, who is that third character right. in, in the movie. And he's a cab driver and he, he cruises this area. He knows both of these women. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see him at home after his shift. He has a wife. He has a, a baby. He has a pestering you know, mother-in-law who's a really good character. And I think that's a kind of a... The film's attitude about him is, again, pretty complex. And, and, you know, and I, I, you know, he comes from a traditional family and he's expected i mean this is a shameful thing the sexual proclivities but but the film certainly doesn't treat it that way and and then and when in to i don't want to tread too much into spoiler territory but i think there there are different perspectives about how that marriage works that the film just sort of hints at yeah and i think it ties again without spoiling too much but i think it ties into the central relationship where the film is ultimately kind of about how friendships and love and everything and involves compromise in some way. You kind of learn to live with shortcomings of the people that in your life, even some huge shortcomings that you would think would torpedo a relationship. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, this friendship is complicated, too, in the sense that the, these women, they're not very much alike. Cindy does bring the drama. Alexandra is a little bit more melancholy, a little, uh, and, and, you know, there's a wonderful scene where we see her, you know, perform in front of an audience. She wants to sing and, you know, it just takes the film to a completely different place tonally without driving it off the rails. It's a great scene. It made all the more melancholy by the all the promotion she's done for this performance, which turns out to be not a well-attended performance. No, it's pretty much just a couple people, but uh, <laughs> but I, I think... Uh, but she's been, been, been you know, promoting it on to everyone who would take a flyer all day. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I think, and I, I have to, again, I mentioned it before, but I, uh, James Ransone has become... He's probably best known as Ziggy on, he, on The Wire. Yes. People hated him on The Wire, which I never... No, I liked him. I never endorsed that at all. I thought he was terrific as Ziggy, but he tends to be the best thing about the movie he's in. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily make that claim for him here. He's, he's got quite, some great lines, though. But he does have some <laughs> great lines. He's just, he's, uh, he's such a firecracker. I mean, and I, I don't even think that that first Sinister movie... There's no way that thing is palatable without him. Is what is it? 
officer so-and-so or deputy so-and-so mm. is the name of his character. He gives it, gives it that kind of comic spark. And, you know, this film, like any screwball comedy, it comes to uh, this very crowded, busy finale. And I feel like the energy level between uh, Kiki Katana Rodriguez and James Ransone just kind of takes this movie you know, to that next level. It's remarkable. And, and it's one of those things not to get you know, too self-reflexive, but I'm, I'm glad, I'm sorry that we're not around a champion. <laughs> I know. Frankly, I mean, we, we kind of made it, I mean, others have taken up the mantle. This has not been an ignored film in any way, but, you know, we, we loved when something small came along that we could really get behind and, and, and push. And, and, uh, this was definitely, uh, well, we, well, we had an essay the second to last day on, that's on true. the, on, yeah, on we the did. film about, and about its importance. From, in, from Andreas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so that, it was nice to champion that and we're championing it right here on, on film spotting, but fortunately the film has received a lot of really good reviews. It's done pretty well so far. And I would also encourage people, I don't think you've seen this, Keith, but Sean Baker's last film called Starlet is also terrific. And I think pretty easily easily found, maybe free to stream somewhere, but if, if not free, then easily found. And uh, it's another film, very lush, also about sex workers and people on the outside of, uh, uh, you know, living on the margins in, in LA. It's got a different look to it because it's not shot on iPhone fives, but sensibility is the same. And I, I think this guy's a real talent to watch. If you're in Chicago, you can see Tangerine at the music box where it's currently playing and in other cities, check your local listings. If it's not there, it should be turning up soon. Yeah. You got to see it. Okay, Scott, we poured our heart and souls into the dissolve and all you listeners get is a lousy top five list. The top five things we learned to the dissolve is next. Stay with us. You said we should look out further. I guess it wouldn't hurt us. We don't have to be around all these coffee shops. Now we got that percolator. Never made a latte greater. I'm saving $23 a week. Drive to a house in Preston We see police arresting A man with his hand in a bag How's that for first impressions? This place seems depressing It's a Californian bungalow in a cul-de-sac Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit is a bi-weekly podcast hosted by BuzzFeed's Allison Wilmore and Matt Singer of Screen Crush, focusing on the world of online movies. More information at filmspottingsvu.com or subscribe to the show on iTunes. Hi there, listeners over at the Film Spotting Mothership. Allison Wilmore here from the Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit podcast. And on our latest episode, Matt Singer and I are prepared to attempt to break you down, make you question your group's beliefs and their innate contradictions, and reintroduce you to society good as new as we review Riley Stern's cult deprogramming drama, Faults. We'll also be recommending some other movies about cults, all of them available to rent or stream at home right now. To listen to the episode, search for us in iTunes or check us out at filmspottingsvu.com. 
You're listening to Film Spotting, filling in for Adam and Josh this week. I'm Scott Tobias with Keith Phipps. Keith, the dissolve is over. Uh, sorry to inform you of this, uh, but he uh, told me. I know. I'm sorry. This is a this is a tough way to find out, but. We learned some things at the Dissolve. Our, our top five this week is the top five things we learned at the Dissolve. Keith, do you want to get us going? What's your number five? Uh, number five is that advocacy makes a difference. We uh, late, we chose we created something called the Essential Viewing. It's kind of modeled after Pitchfork's Best New Music in a way. We wanted something to like, you know, beyond star ratings, beyond sort of the review itself, to, to point this is a movie you've got to see. And we spent a lot of time thinking about. You know how will we apply it? Could a three-star movie get a, get an essential viewing, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth? Uh, but it really wanted to be the films that were must to see to be part of the conversation. So I think we chose them very carefully. Um, we were, I think, if anything, we were a little conservative uh, giving them out, especially at first. But but um, I, I find my discovery was that definitely that that label meant something. Mm-hmm. Like like saying you got to see this made a difference. And I, the first one I think I applied it to was a film called Anthem Body Saints, which which I don't know that anyone likes as much as I like, but I really liked it, yeah. so I really wanted people to see it. It's this, if you don't remember, it's, it's a David Lowry film uh, that's kind of set in some vague, nebulous 60s, 70s period about uh, two separated lovers uh, um, played by Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. Uh, Casey Affleck breaks out of prison to be with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much kind of like if Robert Altman and Terrence Malick made a film together, it was kind of what it would look like. It's very Thieves Like Us. Very thieves like us, but also very Malicky in, in, in the way it looks. Um, Bradford Young, who's just a great cinematographer, uh, did Selma, did some other, a lot of other movies, and, and one of the few people, one of the few cinematographers working today, where it's like I see his name, like I got to see what he what he does. Uh, just just went all out with this movie, and um, you know I, I felt that putting that on putting that label on that film, at least among our readers drew people to it in a way that a mere review would not. Yeah, and to me, that was the primary mission of The Dissolve, you know, advocacy, but also just this idea of, you know, trying to encourage discussion, encourage enthusiasm, you know, really rally behind things that we were passionate about. Uh, I think that was really, that's that's just such a fundamental mission of the site, and I, and I think that we were able to do it for as long as we were able to do it. Um, my number five is... Uh, is uh, we weren't supposed to know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was coming back as the good guy in, in Terminator 2. Um, when we, ch- we chose uh, Terminator 2 as our movie of the week uh, during a special blockbuster month, and uh, Tasha Robinson uh, wrote an essay about that very thing, about this, about uh, something called Terminator 2 and the World's Biggest Spoiler. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, and she focused her keynote on, on the spoiler that the, for the longest time I didn't realize was a spoiler, which, no, is, that, neither. which is that, you know, if you saw the Terminator, you certainly expect that if Arnold Schwarzenegger is coming back, you know, fr- from the future, he's coming back to do some 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 damage. And uh, the film, you know, of course, reveals that he's there to protect John Connor. But that was a reveal that I think the film sets up very well and then was completely spoiled by the ads. And I think we don't consider that a spoiler anymore. And the promotional material. I remember all all the like interviews, like, you're a good guy this time. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating that, that, that such a big Revelation was just was just spoiled by advertising. I think we've seen since, um, you know, advertising being that brazen about about kind of ruining movies, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my number five. Number four for me is is that people who love movies want a space to talk about movies. I'm not talking about us. Um, I'm talking about our our, our commenters who 
were and 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 have reconstituted elsewhere on Facebook on on a site called the Salute, but um, who just are an amazing community of people who who love movies and love to talk to each other about them and. Um, uh, you wouldn't. The site would not have been the same without them. Everyone I talked to about the dissolve talked about how much they enjoyed our content, but also talked about how smart our readers were and how smart our commenters were. And I can take no credit for that whatsoever. We just, uh, for some reason, attracted a, a great bunch of readers. I mean, I never. Th- I thought there was a reason in the sense, sense that we set a tone, you know. And I think the readers understood what the tone was and, and really kind of carried it through for us. They assisted us um, from the very beginning. And I think I think you were discouraged as a commenter to kind of come in and and be a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the culture of the comment boards disallowed for that to, to happen. It was not a comfortable space. It wasn't, you know, 4chan. Uh, so uh, I, I love that too. And, uh, you know, my number four is actually very similar to your num- number five in that, you know, uh, one of the lessons I learned was that, you know, independent and foreign films and the art houses that show them desperately need support from dedicated film sites. Uh, you know, one of the things that's been talked about since The Dissolve closed is that is this move from sites that are very um specific or uh, have a certain you know niche i guess uh in this case film and our and sites are much more are usually much more general and go to a general readership and already um you know now that i'm a freelancer i'm i'm not really even thinking about the types of films that i wanted to stump for at the dissolve, I mean, a lot of the pitches that I have to to generate for these sites are are, are films that are going to be much more familiar, I suppose, to a general audience. And I think that when the press kind of moves in that direction, you lose support and you lose, you know, you, you're not able to really shine a light, you know, on, on films that that really deserve it, and and really in theaters that that are really struggling and and could use, a, you know, an audience. Which isn't to say there's not. A lot to think about when it comes to Avengers or you know, no. Marvel movies or, or or Terminator Genesis. Well, maybe not Terminator Genesis, yeah. but but I, I mean I, I love thinking about those those movies and, and writing about them. But um, you know, film is a part, of what I, part of what I love about movies is it's democratic. Um, you know, uh, it, it it's it's there for everyone. You can buy a ticket, you can go see it. It's price is the same, uh, and you know, the price is the same for for Ant Man as it is for for Tangerine. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, um, you know, we seem to steer people toward toward all sorts of films. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keith, what is your number three? Uh, one, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but I guess it's like kind of plunging into, into the past can yield surprises. I, I loved um, when we would dig into the past at the Dissolve and, 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 you know, we did it through movies of the week. We did it through columns looking at the past. I did a column called The Laser Age, which I sorely missed doing. Um, sort of about you know science fiction between 2001 and Space Odyssey and Terminator. And, and I got into some really odd stuff in the 70s. I remember, films I would never have seen if, if I hadn't uh, gone off the beaten track. Like there's, I saw this movie called ZPG, which is this dystopian British science fiction film directed by Michael Campus, who a year later would direct The Mac. And it stars Oliver Reed and Geraldine Chaplin, and it's set in this future where no one's allowed to have children, and couples go to a place called called Babyland, where they're given <laughs> these horrific animatronic babies. Uh, there's every bathroom is equipped with an abortion machine. Uh, oh, it is God. it is not a good movie. And then, well, there's like there's also like a museum where people can, can go look at 20th century life, and like people will reenact like just sitting around a kitchen table and having dinner with real food. And it's not 
what I would call a good movie, but it's something that stuck with me. It's just so odd and so mm-hmm. very much of its time. And and like those sort of excursions, I, I think are, are very much worth taking. And I'm glad we got to uh, to push for those. No, oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I definitely miss Laser Age, and I remember I remember vividly editing that piece, thinking this movie sounds insane. <laughs> um, uh, my number three is uh, you know, and this is this is something that I guess that really uh, occurred to me most strongly when I was at the Resolve, which is that documentaries are at the forefront of the digital revolution. You know, I have my gripes, as you know, about the switch from 35 millimeter film to digital, but I can't deny the enormous and positive impact that digital filmmaking has had on nonfiction films. Um, you know, with very little money, with small crews, with a t- with tiny cameras, uh, directors can give reality a heightened the heightened verve, I guess, of fiction films, uh, and they Im- embed themselves in situations that in the past, you know, when you had a film crew and you had you had camera and you were burning through footage, you just couldn't do. And so I saw so many great documentaries like Cartel Land and Rich Hill and Twelve O'clock Boys and Actress and These Birds Walk. I mean, that some of them, some of which I'd actually describe as kind of Malick esque. Uh, not that they had any of those budgets, but I think there's been you know, a greater attention to the cinematic possibilities of nonfiction, and I think the bar has been raised. Um, and, and for that, I think we can credit uh, you know, the rise of digital filmmaking. So in that sense, I, I'm in favor. In all other instances, though, I'm, I'm a 35-millimeter guy all the way. For now. For now. Come on, then change your mind. Uh, the Soderbergh's uh, digital stuff. and uh, mm-hmm. All right. There's room for it, but... Uh, to, to be continued. Okay. Um, I, I guess number two is, is some of the... I was thinking about some of the hot debates that, 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 that shot up on our site and, and elsewhere. And, and I, th- I, I find it's worth making up your own mind. I, I mean, you know... I think about your Birdman review mm-hmm. and like a lot of people disagreed with that. A lot of people agreed with it. And, and I think, I think the, the main thing is I think we encourage people to just go see that movie and make up your own mind. You weren't trying to destroy that film. No, no, review. no. It seemed like it, didn't it? Um, I feel like that review is just going to cost me a job. Like I know there, I know for a fact that I'm just going to lose work because of that thing. And, I, and I'm, I, you know, I just, I'm trying to emphasize that's an anomaly. I really, I don't usually open my reviews with ad hominem attacks on the director. That's not my style. Um, but I thought, you know, Give it a shot. But I was thinking of another pan um, you did recently, uh, Me and Earl, The Dying Girl, which mm-hmm. you did not care for. No. But I also liked the piece we ran next to it, uh, you know, not long after, David Ehrlich just d- defending it and as to why, like, sort of the narcissism that bugged you so much in that film, he felt was, like, truer to the grieving process of dealing with, with someone who's dying. Mm-hmm. And he comes to his own experience. And it was, uh, you know... I, I love the complexity of the discussion that that can arise up around a, a film that the kind of people have strong feelings about, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm I'm I, I loved it when that would happen on the dissolve. Yeah, and I, and speaking of, of Birdman specifically, you know, when when people would you know, reply to me on Twitter or say something like, because of your review, I'm just, I'm not going to see that movie. I'd immediately say back and say, come back to them and say, no, you have to see it. You know, please don't let, you know, what I, you know, my pan, which is, which was, uh, you know, for a film that was acclaimed and won best picture, you know, you should see it and, and have an opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we always had that, we always had that uh, thought. I mean, I I don't think, you know, I mean, I, I obviously there's some mediocrities that maybe we would want to steer people away from, but, but a film like that, I mean, you really just have to see it if you're going to be a if you're going to be a cinephile and you want to take part in the conversation. You know, see it and maybe you hate it. Maybe you think I'm I'm full of beans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the, possible. The, the actual header for my number two was like when when a hot debate uh, arises around a movie, make go see it and make up your own mind. Absolutely. 
my number two is uh, the revelation that uh, It's Always Fair Weather is a wonderful movie. <laughs> um, I, I'd never seen the musical It's Always Fair Weather by Stanley Donnan. Uh, and I remember watching it in the early days before we launched, uh, when the entire staff uh, could sit in the screening room and watch a movie together. Uh, we weren't able to do that after we launched because uh, people had to man the controls. Busy. We were too busy. But uh, I'll just never forget discovering this beautiful widescreen you know, distinctively melancholy, you know, uh, musical, which, which is kind of like, I, I, I kind of describe it to people as, as what, it, what would happen if, uh, the best years of our lives was a musical. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, I just, I felt like, uh, it just, it was, it was one of those things that I got to discover working for the dissolve. It wasn't, you know, I mean, some, sometimes, oftentimes it was like, you know, it was our job to, turn readers onto things that we loved. Well, this was a film that, that Nathan loved and picked his movie, uh, Nathan Raymond, our, our former colleague, um, picked as uh, his choice for movie of the week. And it was just a delight to discover something I'd never seen before. So sentimental value on that. My number one is, is pretty simple. is that people are still passionate about movies. Um, it, it, I saw it in our readership. I saw it in, 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 in sort of our feelings on the job. Uh, I saw it in, in you know, people kind of grieving when we went away. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's this great outpouring of, 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 uh, of, you know, uh, people missing us and, and, uh, I miss, miss doing it. I miss, I miss them too. But my, my, you know, the heartening thing is like you know, the whole experience is that, that people talk about movies losing, losing ground to television or movies becoming irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And I think movies find a way. I think, I think great movies always find a way to get made and the, you know, people who care about it find a way to, to watch them. And, 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 uh, you know, that, that happens whether or not we run a website about them, but it was for a while I got to witness it firsthand. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that actually feeds into my number one, which is, uh, Running a startup daily movie website is hard, <laughs> <laughs> it, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not easy. I thought. I thought. Well, we just we just start this thing, and we and uh, that was it. I was. I'd be. I just just take this thing all the way to retirement. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was hard. You fight. You fight for readers every day. You know. You really have to kind of earn your keep. And uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm proud of what we did. And, and uh, you know, we left it a beautiful corpse. What can yeah, you say? It took its toll. Uh, it was a yeah. lot of hours. My health is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, a lot of stress eating mixed nuts at my desk and drinking diet Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Coke Zero. I switched to Coke Zero after yeah. a certain point, and and uh, I'm trying to move away from some of those things, and and yeah. and uh, uh, you know, maybe add years to my life. Ultimately, yeah. I've gone on walks, Keith. Walks, <laughs> walks outside. Yeah, outside. In I haven't been. Air? I haven't been outside in forever. Yeah, uh, it's been two years of being inside, which is <laughs> which I'm comfortable with. But uh, but it's a it's an unfamiliar world I'm entering into, and well, be, uh, be careful out there. Okay. Um, so those are the top five things we learned at the Dissolve. Uh, if you learned some things from the Dissolve yourself, we'd be happy to hear them. Send email to feedback at filmspotting.net. You can also leave a voicemail at 312-264-0744 or find the show on Twitter at, at filmspotting and at facebook.com slash filmspotting. You can find me on Twitter at kphips 3000 And me at scott underscore Tobias. Over at filmspotting.net, you can find 10 years of reviews, marathons, and top fives. Also at filmspotting.net, take a moment and vote in the current film spotting poll. A Tom Cruise deathmatch, Top Gun versus A Few Good Men. Opening and limited release this weekend, The Connection, which is a pretty good French thriller with uh, Jean Dujardin. It's kind of uh, the French side of the French connection, though though William Friedkin gets upset if you talk (laughs) talk about that. (laughs) Uh, Irrational Man, which we both saw, the, the new Woody Allen film. 
Yes, we did see that. Yeah, we did. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like a bunch of other. It's about it's about like about four other Woody Allen films. Yeah, it's got its own thing, sort of, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Staten Island Summer, which is a new comedy from the Lauren Michaels factory. Uh, uh, and over at Facets, you've seen this film, Keith. Yes, Madame Bovary, uh, starring Mia Wasikowska, and it's from director Sophie Bart, who did Cold Souls, um, which I thought was pretty good. And it, did, it got mixed reviews, but I think Wasikowska is, is quite good in it, and there's some other really strong... Yeah, she's perf- super talented. Yeah, strong performance. Paul Giamatti's in it. It's, it's worth your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Gene Siskel Film Center, there's a film called Court uh, from Indian director Chaitanya Tamahane. Um I don't know. I hope yeah, you totally right. butchered that. Yeah, probably. Um, and the name of my daughter from uh, director Andre Tachinet, who I didn't know had a new film out. So that's and it's got Catherine Deneuve in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do I sound gay? Which is a documentary that investigates the gay voice. Did yeah, you review no, that? No, one? no, Murray reviewed yeah. it. I liked it. Yeah. And then the music box is Alleluia, which I think you saw, right? Scott? I did, and not only did I see, did I see it, but a little self promotion here. I wrote I wrote the, the liner notes for oh the my. upcoming uh, music box films uh, DVD. So uh, look out for that. Actually, it's quite good. It's kind of a it's a it's a modern take on uh, the same uh, material that inspired the Honeymoon Killers. Right, which is an excellent film. Really good. Yeah, and you wrote a piece about that for a uh, new. A uh, subsection of Oscilloscope Labs website called Musings. I did. It's the first thing I wrote for them. That's something else to check out. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, one of the places the dissolve, dissolve aspera has uh, has washed up. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and then there's this last film, Unexpected, from Chicago's own Chris Swanberg, who is the wife of Joe Swanberg. Uh, Tasha Robinson uh, gave the film four stars, so you seem to like it. Uh, it's uh, also available on VOD. Opening wide this week is Paper Towns, which is the latest YA adaptation of a John Green novel. He's the writer behind The Fault in Our Stars. So come bring your handkerchiefs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Pixels, uh, um, also bring your handkerchiefs because you... No, I don't know. <laughs> you, I'm not, not going to slag we, a movie we, you haven't we, seen we, yet. We, but okay, it's an Adam Sandler film in which uh, he and others have to fight off... Uh, um, aliens who have taken the form of 80s video games. And uh, Southpaw, which w- we saw that, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, next week, the Dissolve Takeover continues. I'll be back with Tasha Robinson as my co-host. Or maybe I'll be her co-host. I think I probably will. I'll let her take over. Uh, we'll also ha- we'll have a review of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the new independent film, Stanford Prison Experiment, and a top five to be determined. Film Spotting is produced by Golden Joe Dassault and Sam Van Hogren. Without Sam and Golden Joe, the show wouldn't go. Thanks to associate producer Candace Griffiths and the listeners of the Film Spotting Advisory Board. And special thanks to everyone at Chicago Public Media. Music this week is from Courtney Barnett and the Australian singer-songwriter's new album, Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit, which is great. I'm very excited that this music is uh, on the show. Uh, more information at CourtneyBarnett.com.au. For Film Spotting, I'm Keith Phipps. And I'm Scott Tobias. Thanks for listening. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.